It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. I wanted to let all of you know that my book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, is now in audio form. It is in the process of being listed in various places. Right now, it's on Amazon. And the price is lower than it's supposed to be. So <laughs> so now is the time to get it. Um, so if you're interested in getting my, my book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, go on to Amazon and um, you can pick up the audio book for less than the paperback, which never, ever happens. There's an error here and we're trying to correct it. Anyway, a year of social distancing and isolating at home has fractured our relationships and wreaked havoc on our mental health. Exacerbating the pain of the pandemic has been a level of political turmoil unprecedented in modern American history. The sudden and long-lasting trauma of the shutdown combined with our divisive political crisis have profoundly damaged the personal, interpersonal, and transcendent connections we depend on to lead flourishing lives. To restore these connections and achieve a sustainable sense of well-being, today's special guest, Dr. David Rosmarin, presents a holistic method called the Connections Paradigm. This method descends from a three thousand-year-old Jewish tradition that focuses on healing three key relationships. These are the relationships between our bodies and souls, ourselves and others, and ourselves and whatever higher power we believe in. In his book, The Connections Paradigm, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for Modern Mental Health, Dr. Rosmarin describes techniques that anyone can use to heal these fractured relationships and enjoy a fully functioning life. David H. Rosmarin, Ph.D., is director of the Spirituality and Mental Health Program at McLean Hospital and an assistant professor of psychology in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He supervises the provision of spiritually integrated services in clinical programs throughout the hospital's divisional structure and collaborates with laboratories to study the clinical relevance of spirituality to anxiety, psychotic, substance abuse, and other disorders. Dr. Rosmarin's clinical work and research have received media attention from ABC, NPR, Scientific American, the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. And we are so lucky to have him here with us today to talk about his book and explain what the Connections Paradigm actually is. Good morning, Dr. Rosmarin. Hi, good morning. How are you? 
Good. Did I say your name right? You did a great job. Thank you so much for the gracious introduction. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Well, we're glad to have you here today. We're honored. So, um, briefly, because we're going to get into it a little bit deeper, but what is the connections paradigm? Basically. (laughs) Basically, in a nutshell, the connections paradigm is an ancient Jewish approach to mental health that I was introduced to, not in my secular psychology or psychiatry training, but rather by my rabbinic mentor, my, uh, my rabbi in Jerusalem, uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kalman, or Leib Kalman. And uh, he, it's something that he learned from, from his rabbi, Shlomo Voldi, who learned it from, from his rabbi, Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, who learned it from his rabbi, um, going all the way back um, 3,000 years in, in, an, in an unbroken chain um, of how to deal with uh, issues like anxiety and depression, and more importantly, how to have a connected life. Hmm. Okay. So that basically is the history of the connection paradigm. Um, and, you know, when we think of Jewish wisdom, well, first of all, um, is this something that they talk about when they're in the seminary? Because I know they study and, you know, argue different things and learn different things. And is this something that is for the, the very learned? Or is it just specific? It's a great question. The, yeah. Yeah, the, the concept of the connections paradigm, and you're right, I gave over more of the history than the actual content. And maybe I'll just dovetail that say that first and then I'll answer your question. The basic concept of the connections paradigm is that human beings are designed to have thriving connected relationships and that those relationships occur in three spheres. The first sphere is the relationship with ourselves, our body and our soul. And those are really two separate living entities, teaches the paradigm. And those two characters, if you will, within each of us can learn to get along or they can be disconnected from one another. The second level, of course, is us and others. So our relationship with people, especially those who are closest to us. And the final level is our relationship with God. And when people have those three levels of relationships, they are thriving. They thrive, they're connected, they're resilient um, against distress, and, of course, the issues that we're seeing today, anxiety and depression and other forms of mental distress, um, they are protected against, against those. So with regards to your question of access to this, this has never been presented before to the English-speaking public, or it has been in very little sort of bits and pieces. The book that um, I recently authored is the first, to my knowledge, to um, put together the constituent pieces of the connections paradigm, as well as clinical anecdotes about it in, in the English language. Um, mm. I was fortunate to learn it from Rabbi Kellerman, who's fluent in English and actually studied at University of California, Los Angeles. So um, he was able to, if you will, translate it or be an ambassador uh, to the rabbinic world um, so that I could understand this knowledge. Um, although I have also learned parts of it from primary sources in, in, in native Hebrew. Um, but I'm not a rabbinic scholar, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> no. Well, I wasn't asking if you were, but I was, you know, thinking, um, <clears throat> you know, because I know that they, you know, they do 
go deep into um, in, yes. into Jewish law and things like that. Um, you say in the very beginning of your book, Under the History, you say it, since its early years and particularly in recent decades, mental health science has made significant progress in distinguishing psychological disorders and treating them. But we have learned little about the key ingredients to achieving a fulfilling life, evidence-based therapies used by therapists across the world help countless patients recover from the dire depths of mental affliction each year. But mental health professionals mainly focus on returning their patients to a state of baseline functionality, not to satisfying and fulfilling sense of commitment. So, and I, you know, that stuck out to me because I'm a narcissistic abuse expert and I help, I coach people. Um, all over the world with um, for the abuse that they've suffered for the syndrome. And this is something that I encounter all the time, that once they come to me, they've already been to psychologists and psychiatrists who were working, I call it from the top down. They're working on the things that jut out, the symptoms that jut out, but not the core. So, I just wholeheartedly agree with you in that area, and I wanted to let you know that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's see. So I'm I'm just looking in your. Book. By the way, it makes uh, sense. It makes sense that that my colleagues uh, and and even myself, to to some degree as a as a clinical psychologist, would take that approach of curing people. I mean, we you know the, the medical model does. Um, it prescribed that approach that we identify pathologies, we identify areas of dysfunction where people are struggling, and we try to 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 um, to heal them. We try to restore functioning. You know, the the opposite of having cancer is is being in remission. Um, it's not thriving. And I think when it comes to mental health, though, we really need to think about it um, both in both the dimensions of distress and then sort of getting out of distress, but also the other dimension in many ways, which is what we're all looking for, which is thriving, being, being happy, being, um, being connected, and having uh, lives that are worth living. That's, a, a, dep- a non-depressed person doesn't necessarily have a, a life worth living. So those are they're really there's a second dimension when it comes to mental health and mind. You're right. That's a good, that's a good point. You say, by contrast, modern clinical psychology seeks only, as Sigmund Freud wrote, to deliver patients from hysterical misery to common unhappiness. (laughs) But you say, what I found most compelling about the connections paradigm, though, is that it can promote thriving and contentment for all people, regardless of their religious beliefs or views. Um, So, yeah, you know, because when people hear that it's Jewish wisdom, they think uh, they may think, oh, you know, well, this isn't for me because I'm Christian. But why is this for everybody? Good question. Um, I, you know, in, in the current day and age, we've reached new highs of anxiety and depression and family dysfunction. The divorce rate is through the roof. Um, people are um, really struggling today. And um, this form of wisdom is not, this, I should say, this aspect of Jewish wisdom. Not, not all Jewish wisdom is for all people. I think that's correct. And I think you're, you're, you're correct in saying that. But I think that this this paradigm is not specifically um, uh, for Jewish individuals in any significant way. I think these are, these are 
<clears throat> general wisdoms and truths, the way to build relationships with ourselves, with others, and with God, there are generic uh, approaches that really apply to all of humankind that come from this, this Jewish uh, 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 paradigm, this way of thinking. And given the current context of uh, ex- exceedingly high levels of distress and, and impairment, um, I think it, it was important to share it with the world. Oh, I think it is too. I think it's excellent. So uh, in the overview of connections, of the connections paradigm, you have four points. Um, so you say um, the first one is you say it can be, they um, can be summarized by these four things. As mentioned briefly above, each human being dwells in one of two worlds at any moment in time. What are the two worlds that we dwell in? Two worlds are either the world of connection or disconnection. And the main point of this first point of the connections paradigm is that uh, we go, human beings go in and out of points of connection. Very rare for people to always dwell in the world of connection or always in the world of disconnection. I'm not even sure that ever happens. All of us go in and out of, uh, of, of states of being connected with ourselves, others, and God, or disconnected in, in one or more of those three domains. And that's the main first point. Okay. So the second point, connection involves the convergence of two complementary and opposite entities in three domains. What are the three domains? Yes. The three domains, as I mentioned before, are uh, body and soul, us and others, and us and God. And I just want to dwell on a, a small point that you mentioned, complementary opposites. The body and soul are very different from one another. The body is physical. It, uh, it, it uh, thinks in very immediate terms. It's quantitative in its approach. And the soul is more qualitative. It has a long-term perspective. It's, uh, when it comes to pain or discomfort, it's less bothered by those kinds of things. And these are two very different aspects. And, and I'm sure you uh, and many listeners can relate to the, to the idea of, well, sometimes we really just need a quart of ice cream, and other times <laughs> we're able to push through all sorts of pain and discomfort because we're pursuing a higher order value in life. And I think all human beings have those two paradigms yes. answers the question as to why by saying, well, those are two pieces of who, of who you are. We have a soul, which is very um, uh, holy. It's connected to God in a unique way, and it is um, something that pursues a higher order of values, but we also have these very base physical pieces of us. The question is how can those two get along and really coexist with each other? And the paradigm teaches us aspects of how to do that. Mm, okay. And for those who are listening who don't like the word God, we can use spiritual connection, universe, whatever you want. Perfectly so, fine. Yes. Of course. Um, these three domains are, this is the third one, these three domains are hierarchy, high hierarchical um, our relationship yeah, with god is co- hierarchical <laughs> our relationship with god is constrained by our relationship with others and our relationship with others is constrained by the degree to which we maintain interconnection hmm. okay explain that please yeah that's in some ways one of the most important uh, features of the paradigm which really um has very uh, important clinical uh, uh ramifications for the way of helping of helping people our relationship with ourselves constrains the extent to which we can have a relationship with other people. If people don't respect their own physical needs or if they're not pursuing higher order values, 
um, or both of those, it makes it very hard to have relationships with other people. Um, when we understand that we need sleep, we need to eat, we need to um, have social connections, when we understand that we have a purpose in life, that we have, we're here for a reason, there's something for us to do, that there is a higher order of value, it makes it so much easier to relate to other people and to connect with them. Um, and uh, secondarily, our relationships with people, to the extent to which we can clear out uh, uh, um, discontent um, um, uh, issues with, uh, with others, interpersonal strife, it, it makes it very difficult to connect spiritually, to think about um, our place in uh, the order of history, if you will, if we are uh, uh, struggling with our interpersonal relationships. Mm, you couldn't agree more. Um, And the fourth one, in each domain of connection, there is a giver and a receiver. Explain that one, please. Yeah. So the the nature of body and soul, I guess I'll put it this way. You know what? I'll talk about the nature of us and others. Um, Human beings, naturally, there's a give and take relationship. And it's important to identify um, who is giving and who is receiving and when. Um, for example, I'm very graciously receiving now from you, uh, who is being a wonderfully gracious host by having me on your show. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. And I sort of have to know my place, if you will. And that's integral to our relationship here, Randy, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're the host and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm your guest. Um, having an identification of where we stand in those relationships is, is, is important. Um, because that's, that's what helps us to remain, to remain connected. Okay. All right. Good. Um, and that, that really sounds to me like boundaries, actually. <laughs> it sounds a lot like, in, um, in many ways, like yeah. boundaries. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it's possible to thrive in life without a, a spiritual connection to a higher source? Um, opinion. Good question. <laughs> Yeah, this is opinion, and uh, I, I do I do think. Listen, I know many people who are not sad, not not anxious. They are living happy, wonderful lives, who have thriving connections between body and soul. They might not call it a soul, but they have thriving connections within themselves, intrapersonal connections, and they have thriving connections with other people. Um, is that enough in this generation? It probably is. Has it always been for all of history? I don't know. I've only been around, you know, 40 some odd years. Um, it, you know, in terms of the spiritual value of it, I'm, you know, I'm not a theologian and I'm not, you know, I'm not a rabbi. I can't comment on that. That's, that's really beyond my purview. You're asking me as a psychologist, do people need a spiritual connection to have happiness? I, I will tell you that I think it helps in many cases. I think when people can identify um, something greater and see themselves as being the recipient of blessing and see themselves also in some ways as giving, as having a, a partnership and a, an integral role to play in history, those types of ways of thinking, I believe even especially today in some ways, can really help people. But is it 100% necessary if people have great relationships, if their self-care is impeccable, if their relationships with others are great? It's hard for me to say it's totally necessary based on what I've seen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, because I come across that, and you, you probably do as well. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when I find that people that, um, 
that have a spiritual connection tend to maybe um, heal a little bit faster. So, you know, and sometimes when I, if someone is not really progressing and I bring that up, I, I have to sort of tread lightly on that because if this is not a belief, then that's not a route I can take. <laughs> so anyway, I just right. kind of wanted to know your thought on it. <clears throat> okay. So what are the um, significant differences between the body and the soul? Yeah, it's a good question. So the body and the soul are very, you know, in some ways it's the hardest of the three domains to identify the differences because they're both inside of us. And those two voices really have the same sound because they emanate from the same person, you know, essentially. So it's, it is hard to, to identify um, uh, within oneself. But those, those basic, basic concepts, I, I think I, I tried to mention it before, the, the body is um, more quantitative in value. It, it likes to see things in terms of numbers. The soul is more qualitative. Um, it might appreciate um, uh, something in terms of the, uh, the greater meaning that it has or the, um, the um, certain aspects of it that are not quantifiable. Um, the body is more immediate. It's more focused on the here and now. The soul is more focused on the, on the you know, down the road. Um, the soul is more focused on um, values, and the, the uh, body is more focused on, on acquirement, attainment, achievement, these, these kinds of things. Those are some broad brushstroke differences. Mm, okay. And that, that may be confusing to some people. It's a little confusing to me. I understand it, but, you know, because we don't separate the soul and the body, and so we think all those perspectives, the, sh- the short-term perspectives and the actions and the feelings are coming from our entire self. Now, when we yeah. separate the when we separate the body and soul, um, do we have a self, or is it important that we understand the division between the two? I mean, we, we do have a self, of course, but there are different – part of the connections paradigm, which I think is really transformative, particularly in clinical care, is when people identify that just because they have conflicting or different, different aspects of themselves doesn't mean that they're crazy. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with them. What it means is that we have to make peace between these different parts. I'll give you, an, you know, just a cl- classic clinical example of somebody who's very, very driven, and they have – uh, a long-term perspective, they're either building a, a business or they're writing a book or they're, you know, uh, helping people in, in uh, Uganda. You know, they're, they're, they're very motivated, they're driven. I, I'm thinking about somebody who's going through medical school potentially or somebody who's uh, trying to, you know, invent a new, a new cure for something. You know, there's so many things that, that people can be doing. Those are very soul-based approaches to life. And when somebody only takes a soul-based approach, and they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and they're not sleeping enough, and they're not giving themselves enough diet, and they're not taking care of their relationships, things start to fall apart at the seams at a certain point. And, and we can be very passionate and very driven and very motivated to have a value-based life without, uh, while, while forgetting that we're human beings and we need to sleep and we need to eat and we need to have certain basic limits. And sometimes we're going to have fluctuations. It's not always, you can't just be a machine all the time, um, at least not in perpetuity. 
That's very true. Um, and I'm actually looking where you talk about that in the book. You say in the present day and age, though, our bodies have good reason to mistrust our souls. Why is that? I mean, I, I know you sort of explain that, that yeah. but well, I mean, I yeah. Read it. <laughs> yeah, you wrote it. Um, so, so, <laughs> so I, yeah, what do you mean I, by I, that? We abuse ourselves. In American society, we're so focused on achievement. We're focused on making money. We're focused on our careers. We're focused on, um, you know, even Facebook posts. We're focused on Instagram. We're focused on appearances. And, and all of that in some regards, it sounds physical, but I, I actually see that as our, uh, you know, pursuing longer-term goals at the expense of our immediate physical needs. The average human being, Randy, do you know how much sleep the average person needs? In America, per per night, you mean? Per night, on average. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, eight between hours. Between seven and nine hours. Between between seven and nine hours is the amount. Okay, all right. But the number of people who get that amount of sleep, on average, is uh, it's it's unbelievable how few people do that because we have electronic devices and we have, um, in can you know uh, we have LED bulbs these days and we're able to stay up and stay productive and keep moving and keep grooving. And we forget about this natural human need that we have. I don't know how people do that. I love sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just enjoy it. And I get eight hours, you know, I need my eight hours. Great. Um, mm -hmm. So how do we train the body to follow the soul's guidance? That's a, that's a great question. Um, the, the first step is to take care of the body's needs. Because if the, I don't know about you, but if someone's abusing me, I don't like to listen to their advice. <laughs> True. <laughs> so when my soul takes care of my body and says, hey, David, it's your bedtime. You got to go to bed. Hey, we have to get you enough calories to get through the morning, have breakfast. Let's have something for lunch. Let's have some dinner. Hey, it's been a hard day. Let's go out. Let's go for a walk. Let's, you know, go out with your wife. Do do what you need to do. When I respect my body's needs and limits, my body is much more likely to follow suit and to do what it needs to do in order to achieve those long-term goals that my soul has for me. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've never had the... I guess I thought it was a luxury, but now I'm hearing now what I'm hearing from you is that it's it's really the opposite. But I've never had that um, the ability to not listen to my body because my body screams at me when it wants something. So, um, you know, I'm super sensitive. So if I need something to get going in the morning, I need something to get going. You know, if I'm hungry, I have to eat. If I'm tired, I have to sleep. I can't push past any of those things. So, um, so my body speaks loudly to me. <laughs> well, okay. it's good that you listen. <laughs> I don't think I could. I'd be paralyzed with uh, with fatigue and you know lack of energy. Um, so, engagement of body and soul is sometimes achieved through reflective meditational practices. But the latter is insufficient to yield greater body-soul connection. Why? Why is meditation not um, doesn't yield greater body mind-body body-soul connections? Well, in of itself, it doesn't necessarily yield more body-soul connection. It depends on what the body needs. 
Um, you know, we were talking about sleep before. Your average American, I, I, I was just uh, looking for the figure beforehand, um, the average American gets five hours and, sorry, the average American gets five hours of sleep a night on an average night. Wow. I can't believe that. Yeah. It's hard, really Six hard to believe. Six hours is not, is not uncommon. That is not uncommon. Um, yeah, according to the, the National Sleep Foundation. And um, people, don't, people don't listen to themselves. So just, you know, that's, that I think, I think speaks to it. You know, if people say, oh, I'm giving myself meditation, but they're not, and they're not taking care of basic self-care. I mean, the, the American Heart Association recommends us getting about two and a half hours of exercise a, a week, a vigorous, moderate to vigorous cardiovascular exercise. That's a lot. That's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Between sleep and exercise and eating, it's almost like there's no time to be productive. <laughs> it's true. It's so, true. That's why we have to eat while we're doing other things. <laughs> well, we have to eat while I'm not we're sure working. That's the best solution. No. You know, there is there is another solution, which is that when we pursue connection, we actually end up, as one of my colleagues put it, sharpening the saw. And with mm-hmm. a sharp saw, you can cut pretty quickly. So if people are well rested and they invest in themselves, they're taking care of themselves, they're exercising adequately, they are you know, taking breaks. The sedentary lifestyle of being at our desk without stretching, without getting up, without walking around, without doing what we need to, you know, what our bodies really need. These can be uh, deleterious uh, emotionally and, and physically over time. Very true. So Chapter 5 really speaks to me, tolerating the body's idiosyncrasies with love and patience. So sure. <laughs> this is something I've had to learn because my body, you know, I told you I'm sensitive. My body has a lot of idiosyncrasies. Um, so... What can you say about that? Um, you know, this interconnection, uh, when we're unreliable, when the body's unreliable in its performance and variable in its needs. But the nature of the body being physical is that sometimes it does really well and sometimes it does really not well. Um, sometimes it gets injured, sometimes it gets sick, sometimes it gets tired, sometimes things come up, sometimes it gets emotional. And if we don't have tolerance for those idiosyncrasies, for those fluctuations in adherence to behavioral targets and goals that we set for ourselves, it's going to be a rough ride. It's just going to be a rough ride. Yeah, we do have to come to acceptance. And, you know, and what I've learned to do is just really ride with it when things come up because I used to panic. Uh, and say, sure. oh, I'm never going to get better, and, you know, how long am I going to be like this? And so, yeah, you know, um, I've lived a long time, so <laughs> I've learned a few things. You, uh, in tolerating the body's language, um, you have specific, measurable, available, reasonable, and timed. What are, what are those um, five different things? What do they mean? Yes. So let me just give you an analogy before we get to this. Sometimes you'll find uh, teachers well-meaning teachers who really have their students' best interests at heart and they want to educate and inculcate a certain value, and they'll say it's important to be honest. And it is important to be honest, but that doesn't how to be honest. To teach a child to be honest, we have to be very 
smart about it. And that's where the acronym comes from, of specific, measurable, available, reasonable, and timed. So specific aspects of being honest are, well, there's things that you do and things that you don't do. For example, make a commitment and then keep your commitment. Um, not taking things that aren't yours, not, not touching things that aren't yours. Um, these are very specific, concrete, measurable things. But there's another aspect of it also, which is are they available and reasonable? Are these things that a child is able to do? Some children, unfortunately, they struggle with honesty. And if you're telling a kid, don't touch stuff that's not yours, always tell the truth. And they're in the category of struggling with this because they've had either miseducation in the past or they've struggled with it or, it's a, you know, a vulnerability that they came into the world with or for whatever reason. And environmental factors, teaching a kid something that's not available and reasonable to them teaches them that they're a failure. And it's important to give children as educators, uh, reasonable, available, that they can actually follow. It might be tell the truth on a Monday. You know, the rest of the week, okay. But, like, Monday is your truth day, or T, you know, Tuesday. Tuesday is your truth day. Um, and, and you can build over time. Okay, okay, now are you ready for Wednesday? Okay, not yet? Okay, we'll talk about that in a month. And then wow, I like, time, I like that. I really like, yeah, I like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. You it's the same going. exact I just, I just, way with our – oh, sorry. I, uh, we were speaking at the same time. No, I was saying I just keep said. going. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry, I think my phone got a little um, flummoxed. Um, just that uh, we can build over time with a quality system. If we have a, a smart approach, we can do that with ourselves. And when our soul says to our body, hey, you know, stop picking out <laughs> – and we're like, eh, no thanks. But if it's no binging on ice cream after 10 p.m. Um, on a Monday, you know, that, okay, I can handle that. Like, I can handle not, you know, no haagen after 10 p.m. on a Monday. But, or like my bedtime is going to be, instead of, you know, I, I set a bedtime of 11 o'clock and like that's just not happening. But I say like never go to bed later than 1 p.m., 1 a.m. during the week from Sunday night till, you know, till Thursday night. So, okay, like I can, I, can, I can probably hack that. But being available, reasonable, you know, what I mean by available is things that are available to you that you can actually physically do. And then timed is another way to sort of uh, to make it more concrete what the goal is. If we take this approach with ourselves, it's so much healthier, and that's what Connections teaches us to do. So um, I think you just explained what I was going to ask you, this concept of um, that you can either make large changes over a small amount of time or make small changes over a large amount of time. Yeah. So that's how we tolerate the body's doggedness and idiosyncrasies, right? So that's kind of what you were saying, right? Correct, correct. So whenever we're, we're you know, um, trying to create or cultivate any higher order value, better to split it up over a period of uh, months, years, as opposed to doing it in weeks and then crashing and burning. Right. Exactly. Dieting, for, for instance. <laughs> if we do it too fast, it doesn't. We end up gaining it back. Um, and then so check, with Yeah. Injury. And then, and then so, yeah, no kidding. Um, Chapter six is about introduction to interpersonal connection. 
Um, so this is achieved by noticing the needs of others, providing for those needs, noticing, noticing when we are disconnecting from others, and building and maintaining connection with others, even when they neglect our own needs. Okay. So this one we really have to go into because as somebody who focuses pretty much every day on narcissists and the way that they abuse, um, this is the opposite of what people um, going through that kind of um, healing need. So explain to me um, what you mean. When yeah. you, you know, I think you're yeah. talking about the last chapter of, of tolerating. Well, I'm talking people. about cha- chapter six. Um, you well, say, in chapter six, you're, I think you're referring to the last part of it. But he, I think I think what you're getting at is this. And correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. All human relationships are imperfect. We are going to struggle. Whenever you get into a relationship with somebody else, at some point they're going to tick you off. They're going to do something annoying. They're going to do something that's bothersome. They're going to do something that's upsetting. They're not going to give you the right um, uh, respect that you deserve. And that is part and parcel of all relationships. But, of course, there are limits. You know, at a certain point, if a person's in an abusive relationship, if a person's with someone who's, you know, uh, as you put it, a narcissist, and they are not showing any respect and it's actually undermining our relationship with ourselves, well, then, you know, that's, those are what I would call extreme cases. And situ- unfortunately, they're, they're more common than not. So mm-hmm. extremes, you know, to the wrong word. But they are extreme cases, even though they're common. And in, in those kinds of situations, then we have to also look at how is it affecting our body and our soul um, relationship. So that is, um, that is something which we have to contend with. Um, okay. But so you in, say, we do we, have to recognize say, that in the, in the healthiest relationships, even the healthiest good relationships that we have, those are still um, going to be upsetting at some point. Relationships mm-hmm. are not going to be perfect. I, I don't think that – I think that's a, a Hollywood myth. Um, right. Well, you, in but you, but in, in, um, you know, as you're um, introducing – this, the whole section on interpersonal connection. You say um, it's achieved by noticing the needs of others, providing for those needs, noticing when we are disconnecting from others, building and maintaining connection with others, even when they neglect our own needs. So how do we notice the needs of somebody who is abusing us? Well, that, that to me speaks to this one aspect of the paradigm we mentioned beforehand, which is that our relationship with ourselves is, is necessary in order to really connect to other people. It, mm. Randy, if we have a, con, a healthy connection with ourselves, we'll recognize when other people are abusing us and take appropriate steps. And then it's not about pouring ourselves into those latter relationships. It's actually, it could be about getting distance from them. I'm talking okay. about healthy people who are able to understand their own needs and limits and able to use that health in order to scale up and have a connection with other people which to enhance their lives, to enhance everybody's mm. life. That, thank you. That makes total sense. So in other words, this book is about getting healthy, healthy in mind, uh, mind and body and soul. 
so that you are making choices that you don't get into these kind of relationships and everything. So to just sort of take apart sections is not going to work because, you know, if you're, if you haven't worked on the first part, um, then the second part isn't going to happen because you, you may be in relationships that are toxic or, you know, that kind of thing. Good. Thank you. Okay, I get By the that. way, the, the same thing applies to our relationship with, with God or with our spirituality. If people don't have healthy relationships with other people, it's very difficult to relate to a being that's non-physical. And mm. what I see often, unfortunately, is people try to pursue a relationship with their spirituality, um, even though their relationships with others are in really out of sorts. And that relationship with their spirituality then becomes a distraction and actually a disconnection from what they really need, which is to get healthy with themselves and with others. Mm-hmm. Do some people get too far off with their spirituality where they, you know, because I For know sure. some people, yeah, they, they sort of want to be ethereal and cosmic and, um, you know, forget that they're, they have a body. So, you know, that you can do too much of that too, right? They forget they have a body. They forget they have a community and they cause a lot of damage and destruction. I've seen that a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. There are um, three levels to noticing the needs of others. So can you explain that, go over that? Sure. Level one, level two, um, level, notice, level three. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So noticing the needs of others. When we um, are currently having a need, if, you're, uh, if it's cold outside and you come in from the cold and you're coming in with other people who are from the cold, and you're still feeling a little chilly, you're more likely to notice that they need a warm drink or that they need the fire turned on or that they need, uh, you know, a blanket or, or whatever it is. And the reason why is because, well, you're noticing their need, which is good, but you're also noticing your own. There's a higher level where we're actually feeling quite warm. We're toasty. We're inside. The fire's been on. We had a warm drink. And then someone comes in from the cold. And then we can get out of our own experience of warmth and notice, like, oh, they're shivering. They're really having a hard time. And that's a higher level of connection, according to the paradigm, because what we've done is we've actually been able to move beyond our own physical experience and get into the experience of another. There's a higher level, though, the highest level, if you will, of of, uh, human connection or interpersonal connection with others, or this facet of it anyway, is when we can delve into the experience of a person when we have never had that experience ever in our whole lives. And one Hmm. example of this is, um, for example, uh, a wealthy person noticing the plight of somebody who is not wealthy. And they've never, let's say a wealthy person grew up in wealth. Or the opposite. Let's say somebody who is, uh, is impoverished, and they notice that somebody who is you know, extremely wealthy is having a hard time. Um, or somebody from a different culture. There are certain aspects of, uh, for example, Asian or African culture that are just very foreign to me because I didn't grow up there. And if I were to travel there and notice the needs of those cultural, those specific cultural needs that are beyond my experience, then that's a unique thing. Another one is gender, you know, for, 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 for somebody to notice um, the needs of a member of uh, the opposite gender when they, they've never had those needs themselves, um, that, that, in, that in itself also could, have, uh, could, could be um, a higher level of connection because they are, it's, it's a unique a unique aspect that they've never experienced. Yeah, you talk about um, Danny, and um, <clears throat> and I find this really interesting because you know Danny says I'm more of a doer. I only feel like I'm making progress when I'm actively involved in something. 
but he he's not really noticing what you know what other people need and um can you tell us about Danny do you remember what that uh situation um, was the actual case um just refresh my yeah. memory a little bit <clears throat> so um he says a lot of the time their needs are obvious and if not they should tell me you say doesn't it feel better when yeah. someone notices your needs without you telling them he said um i guess so so um <laughs> When you're dealing with somebody who's not in touch with feelings of themselves or others, um, how do you get them to a place where they understand this? Great. So the scaling, the three levels of connection can help us. You know, if we understand that while we have a need and other people have those needs, that's the easiest level for us to learn how to focus on others' needs. I'll tell you something I did years ago in New York. I actually ran a group on the Connections Paradigm, the Connections Program. We uh, ran a, a therapy group for young adults um, where we basically went through the entire series of connections with ourselves and others, with, uh, with ourselves, with others, and, and finally with spirituality. And um, one of the exercises I did, which is probably the most memorable of the entire series, was the group, uh, I broke up the group into pairs, and we went through the streets of, of the city and looking for needs that other people had, not necessarily providing for those needs, but just looking to see what other people needed. And people noticed a hot dog vendor who was, seemed to be down on his luck, and they noticed uh, a, a lady going down the street who had a young uh, child in tow and seemed to be, you know, was uh, running around and it seemed a little bit out of sorts. Somebody trying to open a door of a store, but they had their bags, they had their hands full of bags. They noticed um, somebody who was uh, using a phone and they were speaking and pacing back and forth and they seemed extremely, you know, uh, agitated about something. They saw somebody else being really excited about something and they just, instead of focusing on their own world, they focused on other people's. And when people came back to the room, it was just, there was a palpable sense of excitement, of happiness that, getting outside of our own world and focusing on the needs of others, even just noticing it without providing for it is, is really a tremendous uh, uh, experience. It's a tremendous human experience. Oh, that, I love that. What a great, great experience that, um, that you provided <laughs> for these people. <laughs> that is so great. You know, and especially was that New York city or um, what's that wasn't, that wasn't in Manhattan. Yes. That wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you can get oh, quite a, a variety. Of <laughs> yes. Yes, we pass by, you know, a thousand mm-hmm. people a minute. Yeah. Right, right. That's very, very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know. By the way, the next week we did the same exercise, but they went out and they actually I challenged them to give to other people, to find ways to give to other people. Without, oh, wow. You know, without making it expensive. <laughs> But just by helping somebody open the door for them, by smiling at someone who's being down, mm-hmm. by, um, you know, uh, a- anyway, by helping somebody with their bags, by, you know, this is all pre-COVID, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, sim- similar, similar sentiments when people came back, just by getting outside of themselves and by feeling connected with these total strangers, they, they really were transformed. Now, is it important that this become integrated into who we are? So uh, I would say so since this is a paradigm of um, connection <laughs> uh, because, you know, other than just going through the motions, you know, so I, I have clients who 
just they can't anticipate things like that. And so for them, it's robotic. Does it eventually get to the place where um, it's integrated into who you are? I would hope so. I mean, you know, as a behavior therapist, um, I do know that when the way people act does change um, how they feel and who they are inside, it just takes a little bit of time or a lot of time in some cases. Mm. I do, um, you know, I, mm. I, I do think, though, that, you know, it's not only about acting. In fact, that's one of the reasons why an intra, interpersonal connection I, I encourage people to go through a protracted period of just noticing others' needs without providing for them because I want them to internalize that perspective-taking of other mm. people before jumping in and going and doing things for people. It's okay. The, 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 the internalization of our um, uh, um, ability to get out of our world and to delve into the world of another, that's a very... Um, emotional cognitive process it's not it's not perfunctory it has to come from within gotcha well i'm learning so much from you Mm. okay (laughs) i really am um so chapter 12 is about recognizing our limited scope of control so many people need to control everything um how do we get rid of that well um, COVID helped. <laughs> I think this last year, you know, I, by the way, just to, just to make it clear what this is, this is really an aspect of spiritual connection. And um, you mentioned before, you know, I use the language of God. I think that that's, um, uh, you know, that's a more you know, Judeo-Christian approach, and that really comes from the paradigm. But I think that, you know, if people have a sense that there's a, a greater being, a higher power, something that's in control and we are not, that is the core of it. And this last mm. year, I don't know about you, Randy, but I recognize very palpably how little control, how incredibly vulnerable we all are. And yes. that realization, that realization, I think, gave a lot of people anxiety. But um, from a connection standpoint, it's actually quite liberating. It's actually quite mm. liberating because we don't need to. That's not a human it's not an aspect of being human. Just like hyenas don't fly, human beings don't really have control. We have a perception of control. We have an influence. We have the ability to choose. But at the end of the day, there isn't a whole lot that we can truly do um, when, things get, when, things get out of, when, when things get out of control. Um, there, really, I mean, yeah, I mean, Excuse me, I'm somebody that sort of rides the waves of life. I've never been a control freak because to me uh-huh. that's just that doesn't work. You just do not know. You can't control something, you can't predict something, you know, you can um assume that something's gonna happen, you can look forward to something happening, but you can't hold tight to anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's how life is, right? Yeah. Yes, I mean it just doesn't work. And look what happened this this last year. I think we all got that lesson in spades. <laughs> I mean, you know, school school was school was supposed to be open. You know, the vaccine was supposed to be distributed. Uh, you name it. I mean, even the weather today is so wacky. Last week we were walking around in Boston. I live in Boston. We were walking around 50, 60 degrees. People were in shorts. 
yesterday and today, it was it was 15 degrees yesterday. I oh, no. I walked out without my jacket. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> what happened to the weather? <laughs> like, we had an Arctic glass, which came through, and that's just the way it is today. And, and if it were 70 degrees tomorrow, I wouldn't bat an island. Or if it snowed two feet, I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't be surprised because it just I, we're getting the message over and over again. We're not in control. That's the way life is. And can we accept that and move on is really the question of the year. <laughs> yeah, the Northeast um, is the weather is so fluctuating. I used to live in Baltimore, and um, remind you me know, where you are now. Oh, I'm in um, Fort Lauderdale. I'm in South Florida. <clears throat> so we don't have a whole lot of fluctuation um, right now. I mean, our winter's been a little cooler than normal, which is really nice. But yeah, <clears throat> from living in, you know, I was sort of the Mideast, but. The Northeast, I know. Your weather can fluctuate. Like you said, it can be 70 one day, 15 the other. Um, and my daughter lives in New York City, so, you know, she's always telling me, you know, you just have to, you got to look at the weather before you go out because you just don't know. Um, well, so, well, Landy, though, let me ask you this, though. In, in your, you might have listeners in Texas. Okay. I don't know if you have listeners in Texas. So they I have listeners everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. So I don't know the, the folks in Texas a couple about a month ago, I don't know, two, three weeks ago even, um, were expecting some fairly mild, you know, January, February weather. And what ended up happening? An Arctic blast, which took uh, out half the state. It was, you know, and, and that's becoming more the norm. I mean, last year there were, there were wildfires in California. There, there were, you know, I, I think it, it I don't know if it's a Fort Lauderdale thing that everything's, uh, you know, hunky-dory, but uh, it just seems to me that there's a lot more volatility in not only the weather, but in life. Yeah. There's so many unpredictable things that mm-hmm. are happening. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that the um, the lockdown or the, um, you know, the, the just the whole COVID experience has made people have to let go of the fact that they can control life. I think it's been a very, very good thing Um, in that way. I think that there's been a lot of lessons in, um, you know, in this pandemic, a lot of lessons that people have learned and we're shifting to a different kind of mindset. So I agree that it's been, you know, I always like to find, I always find like to find the silver lining in everything. And I think there is yeah. a silver lining in everything. Uh, so, yeah. wow, we've talked about, is there anything else that you think is you know, really important to share that I may not have brought up? Um, I guess there's just one perspective, which, um, which uh, might be, might be of interest. You know, sometimes the answers to life questions are <clears throat> exactly where you don't expect them. And in, in psychiatry and mental health today, fortunately there's a lot more openness, to spiritual perspectives, to learning what the religions of the world have to say about, um, about uh, uh, different mental health conditions and about how to, more importantly, how to thrive and live a meaningful, happy life. And I'm just, I feel very fortunate to live in a generation that's starting to appreciate those diverse perspectives and to actually take them seriously and to, to look at it as a venerable, to look at different uh, spiritual perspectives as a venerable source of wisdom to deal with modern modern problems of today, um, and uh, in many ways that's that's what 
that's what the connections program is is about. Connections uh, paradigm is about. Mm. How long did it take you to put this concept together? Um, I started learning with Rabbi Kellerman 20 years ago. And uh, I remember the first lecture that I learned from him, that I heard from him, was in in the English language. It was really this core concept that we are here to have love in our lives. We are here to be connected. That's what human beings are supposed to do. And it was a foreign concept to me because I'd never really – gotten that before, even in, in my Jewish education to some extent. And um, I, I asked him lots of questions over time. And, you know, at some point I was able to really sit down with him and, and hash out the, the details of the connections paradigm. And then uh, putting it into paper uh, it was, a, it was a, good, uh, a good couple of decades, you know, certainly a decade of hard work and about a decade mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's been a process. Yes. I mean, this book t- took some very deep thinking very I can see that you know as I because I'm a writer and I have Thank books you. and I can just see that what you put into this book is um, is tremendous very 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 good job so well wow, it's been great <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> um, so to my listeners we're talking about uh, the connections paradigm ancient Jewish Jewish wisdom for modern mental health and we're talking to dr. David Rosmarin, R-O-S-A-R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N. Um, do you have a website and um, other ways that we can connect with you if we want to? Um, the best way is through the McLean Hospital website. Has uh, So mcleanhospital.org, that's the psychiatric hospital out here in eastern Massachusetts and Belmont. I have a faculty page on the website. People can search for my name. David H. Rothman and uh, okay, all right, that's awesome. And your book is available everywhere. I mean, obviously online, the book Amazon is, uh, available, Amazon and everywhere else. Yeah, everywhere else. Okay, well, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you um, have great success with this book. And I know, you know, you know, I get the feeling that you're like me. You're putting this out for you want it to be successful because you want people to feel better. You want people to grasp a concept of, you know, good mental health and vitality and um, thriving rather than living, right? That's the goal. As the, There's a Jewish phrase that a little light dispels a lot of darkness. <laughs> yes, good one, good one. Well, that's a great way to say goodbye because I like that. A little light dispels <laughs> a lot of darkness. Okay, it's excellent. By the way... I'm Jewish. I had I had six years of Hebrew school, three times a week. No kidding. And I never learned any of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. But maybe they're teaching it now. I don't know. I don't know. I I, don't, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. Yeah. Before it was just a lot of learning prayers and memorization and Bible and stuff like that, but not very little theory. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's changing. Well, thank you again. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Have a great day. hope it's nice out. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have good weather. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. Remember, 
I have an app, um, Narcissistic Abuse Awareness, for your mobile phone. makes it really easy to connect with my website. Um, yeah, and check out my audiobook. She did a great job. And, you know, I found as um, she was recording it and I was editing it or just listening for, you know, making sure it was right, that I learned so much from my book. So you get a different perspective when you listen to it. So if you have the paperback, you might want to get the audio because um, it's really going to sink in deeper. Okay. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.